All right, good morning, everybody. How are we doing? You're going to need notes. You're going to need a Bible. You're going to need notes and a Bible. We are, um, we are continuing on with a study we began, through, and, and essentially how to be effective and productive in our faith. How can we be more and more effective? And so in your notes is a little bit of a review, and I'll, and I'll tell you why I do this. You know, in nearly every letter written in the New Testament, there's a reminder to us of who we are and whose we are. Uh, so I want to make this statement and, and help us to understand this. The reason the writers in the New Testament made sure that we knew and know who, it, who God is and where our faith comes from and that they, they wish us grace and abundance in Christ Jesus. We see that in the greeting of nearly every letter in the New Testament. There's a reason for that. <clears throat> as the epistles go on, as those letters writ- are written and they come off that greeting, one, nearly every one of them is there to instruct us on how to live. Whether it's correcting an area that needs to be corrected, instructing in new areas, uh, just helping us live our life in Christ better. If those greetings aren't there and we don't recognize the power of those greetings and what is stated in that greeting and what the writer is actually trying to say to us, we'll think that our good works are part of our salvation. We have to be really careful that we understand that we are saved by grace and it's a gift. That the faith that we entrust ourselves to God with is a gift given to us by him. And we, we, in essence, that's his love to us and we, and we give that back to him as a, the expression of our, of our undying affection and our appreciation for all he's done. That being said, if, we, if those greetings weren't there and all of a sudden we just jump into what to do, we could quickly look at our salvation and our, our walk with God as being just a list of do's and don'ts. Or that somehow our, my goodness is, 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 my, is my responsibility in the sense that I have to empower my goodness. It's got to be a measure of, of what I do. When in fact, our good works and the things that we do are the expression of our faith. So God has given us this faith. In fact, in 1 Peter 1, 2, it says he's given us a faith. Our relationship with him is for obedience to Jesus. In other words, he has saved us and brought us into relationship with him to obey Jesus. I'm going to stop there for a minute. Let that roll around in your head for a minute. We have been saved to obey Jesus. I wish right now I could have a... My favorite way to do church, by the way, is not me standing in front of a sanctuary. My favorite way to do church is for us to be at tables and for me able to discuss and ask questions and let you comment. But I really... So uh, let's do this. If if you're here with somebody or if you've got somebody near you, talk to each other for one minute about this this right here. Um, What does it mean to be saved to obey Jesus? What does that mean? When you hear that, our, our salvation, our being made children of God for the purpose of obedience to Christ... Talk to each other just for a minute. Go ahead. Keep talking if you're talking. If you're not talking, you just be patient for a minute while everybody else is talking. You ready for this? I'm, I'm sure there are answers all over the place. And if you're still answering, go ahead. Whoop, go ahead and answer because you're not going to stop me from talking. So... I have the microphone. All right, so, you know, here's what's neat about this. Here's what's really neat about this. When we're saved for obedience to Christ, on the surface, that sounds almost manipulative. Like, okay, we have, God saves us, and the purpose is that we we would obey Jesus. We are his slaves. We will do, do his bidding, 
right? So as a human being in the flesh, we look at that and we go, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, I thought my salvation was for delight and for joy and for eternal life with God. And yeah. What, I'm, what I want to do here for a moment is I want to redeem this word obedience. I want to redeem it. And I want to redeem it in the context of what it is to be a slave to Christ. That being a slave to Christ in and of itself is life. Period. And the privilege of obeying Jesus is to actually bring him forward in life as he has made his life in us. To be saved to obey Jesus is the greatest gift we've ever been given. We get to be partners with God in the bringing forward of the kingdom of heaven. We get to represent God to, you know, as someone did to me when I was lost and dying, I now in turn get to do the same in the lives of others. To be saved for the obedience to Christ is actually the highest calling in, the entire, in all of creation. I get to be like him. And when I, when I obey him, not only am I saying I love you to him, I trust you, I recognize your commands as being wise and life-giving, I recognize even more profoundly that you have, you have saved me to be your child, to be the brother of Christ, and to be his representative in the world. And that by obeying Jesus, I am living life and I'm bringing life and that to eternal life. See, I, we need to redeem a sentence like that because when we first see it, we're, it almost shocks us. Like, wait a minute, hold it. You've done what? You've saved me to be obedient to Jesus? So that, that seems oppressive. No, well, no, that's life itself. What was God's intention for humanity when he made us to begin with? To walk with him, to enjoy him, to be enjoyed by him to live life in his presence, to live life with him. And Christ Jesus gives us that in our salvation. And when we obey him, it is not just an I love you to him, although that's massive. It is I now am beginning to live the fullness of what I was made to be in the beginning and what I will experience in the kingdom of heaven eternally and the privilege of bringing all of that to light. I don't want us to see that as an oppressive statement. I want us to recognize the truth of the fact that obey, there is no higher calling in all of creation than to imitate Jesus. None. Amen. To be able to be like him, to have the privilege of representing him, to, to hear his words, to allow the Holy Spirit to rise up in us, his indwelling in us. Isn't that fantastic? And if we, are, if, we can, if we see ourselves as children of God and disciples of Christ, there is nothing more profound than getting to imitate and obey him. Nothing. And so what's happening in every greeting in the New Testament is he's saying, listen, let me remind you, let me remind you your life in Christ is by grace. And this is through faith. And that is a gift. And you are, you are indwelled with the Holy Spirit and he's going to work all things out for the good. Now, you, you'll go, well, that only says it in one place and that's not even in the greeting. That's all the way halfway through. Three different letters have near the beginning or in the beginning. I rejoice in your suffering because when, you're, when, when you suffer, it produces in you perseverance and that perseverance, when it's worked out, produces in you godliness and character and joy and hope and increases your faith. So that's God working all things out for the good of those who love him 
and been called according to his purpose. And that is to be conformed in the likeness of Christ. And listen, to be conformed into the likeness of Christ means to do more and more what he does. More and more the way he does it. Meaning we've been created to obey him. And God works it out in us to be able to obey him. Does that make sense? So as we go forward now and we look at how we apply this in the everyday life, we, I, want us to, I want us to cling to the fact that it's God's, faith, God, God's faithfulness to us that gives us life to begin with. And that's his, it's his Holy Spirit that empowers us to do it. And it's his word of God, it's the word of God that instructs us and corrects us in the, in the way we, in, in going about it and the life of Christ as we see him in the Gospels that teaches us the manner and the way of doing it. And he's, in, he's given us everything we need to do it. So now all I need to do is build my relationship with him and everything else begins to pour out, including my willingness, listen, my willingness to obey to not see obedience to Christ and being, being born again or saved for obedience unto Christ, and not as a burden, but as a privilege in life itself. Am I making sense? I did that this morning. It's really, anybody, the rain, it rained this weekend, and I just stomped my foot. Anybody have the rain to remind you that your knees have arthritis in them, and when you stop your foot, you don't do that again? Anybody? I'm not going to stomp my foot again today. Okay, so here we go. So, so go to the notes. And so, again, I'm not going to go through the notes thoroughly at the, in this front half because it's, it's the review of what I just said. Basically, it's what I just said. And, it's, and so look at the first paragraph. Hmm. All right, so... We're looking at 2 Peter 1, 3, and it's the idea of life and godliness. And remember, of what, of what Peter speaks here is the result of faith received, knowing God, knowing God personally, experientially, and more and more. So that word knowledge has in it this idea of, yes, knowing God and knowing about God, but actually knowing him experientially, knowing him intimately and personally, and that this knowing goes on and on. And remember last week I talked about the fact that, the, the fact that attached to this use of the Greek word for knowledge is, is that it goes on and on. Peter's actually pre- preparing us for what's coming in the rest of the letter the rest of the instructions, which is we are to make every effort to build this relationship and know God more and more and more. That's the whole point of that word, right? Then having God's divine power in the midst of all of this, we have everything we need for life and godliness. Life and godliness are the fruit of, the result of, of the gift of this relationship. Life in and with him to be as effective and productive in him uh, and then recognize that uh, we will be as effective and productive in our relationship with him as the effort we place in the relationship. And we talked about that last week. So that's as far as we're gonna go with the review. You can take the rest of that home, the idea of faith, knowledge, grace of peace, abundance, all that was stuff we looked at. Then the idea that that is foreshadowing, uh, like I just said in regard to God, or Peter, God through Peter calling us to... um, to uh, make every effort. Then we get down further in the notes. It says, this life, this godliness, the fruit of our relationship with God and Christ, by his spirit, which is that divine power that's given us everything, should result in something beautiful. (laughs) It results in something beautiful. So here's, let me go back to the idea of being saved to be obedient to Christ. Now I'm gonna ask this question a little differently this week. Is, would you consider, when you look at Jesus in the Gospels and you see what he says and how he treats people and what his teachings were, would you consider that to be, and would you consider that to be a beautiful life or a life beautifully lived? 
Now, that's not mutually exclusive. That's not an either or. That's a both and. So it's a beautiful life that's beautifully lived. Anybody? Did, would you say that? So as Jesus spoke, as he walked, as he spoke, as he touched, as he instructed, as he corrected, as he pleaded, as he prayed, as he cried, as he did miracles, as he laughed, as he danced, was that a beautiful life? And was it lived beautifully? I want you to chew on that for a second. I want you to really take into consideration, was Jesus' life beautiful? And was it lived beautifully? I'm not in a hurry. Children's workers are in a hurry, so that will speed me up a little bit, but I'm not in a hurry. Okay, now, I'm gonna stop there. I'm gonna ask another question. What is beauty? What is beautiful? What is something beautiful? Now, this is a question for all of us. Some of us don't think or use, we don't think of the word beauty very often or maybe we don't use the word very often or we don't even think much about beauty. But what is beauty? You know, I love the fact that if you were to go back and read in the Old Testament about God's making, especially in the book of Job, there's an indication that God has made things that man's eye will never see, man's ears will never hear, man's hands will never touch yet are beautiful. And they're there for the sake of beauty. For no other reason but beauty. The God sees it. He smells it. He touches it. He enjoys it. He's edified by it. He's reflected in it. Beauty. God is beautiful. He makes that which is beautiful. He delights in what's beautiful and he gives us what's beautiful. And here's the thing that I want us to see. If Jesus is beautiful, as his life was beautiful and he lived it beautifully and we've been saved to be obedient to Christ, what ought our lives be? What should our lives be? Beautiful. Our lives should be beautiful. Our lives should be fragrant. We should be beautiful. I love that Peter says in 1 Peter 3, and this is, he says it to women, but listen, it's for all mankind. It's not just for women. Maybe he says it because women might be more susceptible to it. He says, please don't let your beauty be that which of outward adornment, of makeup and jewelry and expensive clothing. Now, that's not to say that a woman can't do that and have her beauty accentuated. It's not a sin to do that. It's not even a bad thing. It's a good thing to do that. But what is he saying there, really? He's saying, let, let, let that not be the primary expression of your beauty or the extent of your beauty, but let your beauty be that of a quiet, inner, modest, and humble spirit. In other words, may your life exude, may your life, your heart, your soul, your spirit exude beauty. I go back to Isaiah 53. How did, he, how did the prophet describe the person of Jesus, his body? his appearance. Anybody know? A dry root coming out of the ground. <laughs> Said there was nothing about him that would have caused us to be, to be drawn to him. No majesty, no beauty, physical adornment. And yet, what happened when the people heard him? What happened when the people heard of him? What happened when the people watched him? They were, they 
they were drawn to him in, in, in hordes. Why? If there's nothing about him to attract us to him, no beauty, no majesty, nothing in his appearance that would make us even notice him, let alone want him, what was it about him that caused people to run after him? Is it not a beautiful inward spirit of humility and grace and peace? And that's what he means by, that's what Peter means by a quiet spirit, is a peaceful spirit. One that is not only at peace, but brings peace. So we go to James and he says, he talks about our good works. You know what he uses, what Greek word he uses for the word good in regard to describing our good works? What a good work actually is? By, this is James, right? The brother of Jesus. The, the basically trained to be a rabbi. It's one of the reasons why James is such an in-your-face black and white book. Do you know why? You know what word he uses to, 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 for the word good, your good works? Beautiful. May your works be beautiful. Mm. So what is it to be obedient to Christ? It is to be beautiful. It is to be beautiful from the inside out. It is for the character of Christ to begin to shine through you. It is for the power of the Holy Spirit to begin to emanate you from you. It is the, it is the fruit of the Spirit that begins to be picked from you. When? When you're obedient to Christ. And how do we do that? Well, his divine power has given us everything we need for it. Now you join that power. You dig into that power. You turn that spigot on. I don't want to go into what it is to do good things until we understand we've been made to do good things. We've been created in Christ Jesus to do good things. And that is in obedience to him. And when we obey him, we are, listen to me, we are beautiful. And what I don't want any of us to shrink back from, look at this, look at this. This ain't beautiful. And the older I get, the less beautifuler I get, right? I am. So what is it about me that should be attractive? My buff physique, right? My long, thick locks. My black, used to be black beard. Is that what it is? Is it my outward adornment? Today I am, listen, I match. Brown shoes, brown pants, tan, this is pretty crazy. I rarely match. My wife looked at me this morning, she said, ooh, you dressed up. <laughs> I did, just for you. What should, what should be attractive about us? What should make people wanna ask us about our hope and its reason? Is it not beauty? So I don't want my outward appearance to distract from my inward beauty. Accentuate it perhaps, but never, never shine brighter than my inward beauty. And that's what obedience is. We've been saved to be beautiful in our love relationship with God. As he makes himself in us, we exude his beauty. Isn't that fantastic? That's obedience to Christ. I could stop right now, probably. But I like to talk, so let's go. I'm being facetious, of course. I love to talk. Okay, so here we go. So, so we go to 2 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to be reminded of this truth, right? So 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Golly, just... Mm, 
may, may, yeah, may we just be blessed by it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Look what it says. It says, Simon Peter, servant of the apostle and apostle of Christ Jesus, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. So he's reminding us, again, this is God's work and God's work in you and God's, God's desire is to work through you. Look what he goes on to say, grace and peace be yours in abundance, so rest in the truth of this salvation, rest in the truth of this gift, receive it and be at peace in it and, and just let it abound in you lavishly. He has blessed you lavishly, let it abound in you lavishly. So grace and peace be yours in abundance. So that word abundance means that God gives generously and he gives abundantly and he gives, he gives without ending. It continues to be poured upon us. Anybody here need grace every day? Like you were saved by grace, but every day you gotta have some grace. Anybody, 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 anybody? Am I, okay, there we are. It, ah, that's so true. And what's really cool about this little statement, this greeting, right, is that Peter is saying, listen, it is, it is by faith you've been saved. This is a gift from God, and he gives it to you abundantly. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. He pours it on you lavishly, and he knows you need it every day. And so the, the, the faucet is never turned off. Isn't that fantastic? That's awesome. So that's what he's saying here. So he is generous all the time. So he says, grace and peace be in abundance be yours through what? Through your experience with him. You're walking with him. You're knowing him intimately. And then you're knowing him more and more. That's what that word means in the Greek. Uh, so it's your knowledge of God and that of Jesus Christ, who is the son of God, who is God, and who came from God and takes us to God. So he says, now, um, he says, now his divine power, the, whose divine power? This one you know experientially, this one, God through the person of Christ. His divine power has given you, now we're, we'll get into divine power here in a few weeks, but I, I wanna move forward a little bit. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life, or it's really in the Greek, it's, it, it is God, uh, life and godliness, all right? Life and godliness through this relationship you have with God. So the more you know him, the, the fact that you know him at all has given you this faith that, that you would live by grace and you live to obedience in Christ that you might be beautiful. He pours this on you over and over again, more and more in, in abundance, both grace and peace. With that, he has now empowered you by his Holy Spirit. So by his power, he's given you everything you need to live this life out, to, to take this relationship and begin to practically apply it. That's exactly, that's actually what he's saying. You're living in a, a, an empowered life that can be beautiful, where he, God abundantly blesses it with grace and peace, his power now enables you to live it out in a practical way. That's really, in re everyday English, what that sentence means. Isn't that cool? And he, even in that, that's couched in this relationship with God through your knowledge of him, through your experience with him, through your experiencing him, because it's not past tense experience, although that's part of it. It's now present tense. And my present tense experiencing is built on my past tense experience, right? And my future tense experience is happen, is, is, will be, will be um, on the shoulders of my present day experience. That's why we should never forget our testimony. We should never forget from where God saved us. Never. We should always go back and reflect on where I was when I met God, who he used to, 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 in, in, to, to introduce himself to me. We should be continually grateful for every name you can name that presented Jesus to you because though each one of those persons was, a, it was an explicit gift from God to express his grace to you. 
every person. Mm. That's past tense experience on which our present tense experience is built. And the faith that I received then and continue to grow in, I could, it grows through my perpetual experience of God so that my future experiences with God, I will walk with confidence because of what I'm experiencing now and what I've experienced in the past. Peter is saying, listen, this experience is ultimately eternal and he has worked this out for you. Isn't that fantastic? God's that generous, he's that crazy, he's that wise and he's got that kind of sense of humor. Why do I say that? Well, look at me. Why in the world would anyone, it's obvious that I walk a lot like Jesus must have walked because there's nothing beautiful about me. Nothing, if I'm in a crowd, you're not gonna notice me unless the sun's glaring off my head and that'll just be say, dude, turn it down, right? Okay, so here we go. Look what it says now. So it says, it says, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life or life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. He did this to express his glory. He did this as, a, as an expression of his character and his nature. He wants us to be mirrors of, vessels of his glory. And he's done this because he's so good. So being saved to be obedient to Christ is a measure of the goodness of God. He's being good to us. Okay, so now, what I wanna do is I wanna look at the Greek of this word life. And this could be boring. You're gonna need the notes, follow me, and don't get bored by this, all right? It's a little academic. But what I want us to do is I want us to see the word that Peter picked and why he picked the word that he picked and what it should mean to us. You ready for this? You have the notes? Open, look at the notes. So it says life. The first use of this word, the most basic use of this word, is just univer- is a, is a universal idea of life, that I am animated. I have life in me, right? So if we look at the definition, it says, the state of one who is possessed of vitality or is animate. So everybody do this. Do, me, do this for me. Everybody take a deep breath. All right, don't blow it out at the person next to you. I'll get in trouble. I'm on Facebook. Somebody's going to come and get me. So do this. Blow it out in your elbow. Do something where you're keeping the people, being considerate of the people around you. And if you didn't brush your teeth, I'll ask you not to do it at all. Okay, so. So it's the state of one who is possessed by life, earthly life, while living on this earth. In other words, I have breath in my lungs. I have light in my eyes. My heart is beating. I have blood flowing through me. I've been made in the image of God. That's life, just life. My dog has this type of life. He has breath, he has vitality, he has, he has life in him, right? So the most basic form of the word life is just that life on earth, animate, moving, breathing, the whole kick and boot. But it gets better than this because Peter's trying to lead us on a progression here. Again, Peter's always trying to move us forward. Remember, our experience with God is more and more. It's not static. It's not past tense. No, our experience with God is more and more. For eternity, it's more and more. It's not static. It's not just one time that lasts you know, in, its, in, in the manner in which you find it. Neither is it just past tense. Yeah, I experienced God. In fact, if we look at, if we think about it that way, the word of God becomes dead to us. Oh yeah, I've read that before. How many times have we said, familiar text, I've heard it before, past tense. Yeah, I'm reading it now, okay, present tense. Wait a minute, stop. We will treat something as we understand it. 
What we need to understand about our experience with God is it's not, it is past tense, but it's not only past tense. It is present tense, but it's not only present tense. It's more and more. So it's in constant motion, and God is asking us to join him in the motion. Go. Now, what was I reading? Life. Life animated. Okay, so as we look at the building of this word life and what it is to have life in Christ, we need to see the progression. There is not an entity on the earth that has life in it that isn't defined by this first, this first most basic term. Nothing. Everything that has breath in it can be described to some degree as having this spark of life in it. Animated, with breath, heart beating, the degree of vibrancy in that it's alive. Okay? So, it gets deeper. Look what it says now. So if we read down this definition, so, so the, the progression begins right here. So the state of one who is possessed of vitality or animate earthly life while living on earth. Then it progresses. There is a progression of God's true and real intention for life and the giving of life. Stop! Okay, so sin kept us from living out God's original intent for life, which was what? It was fellowship with him. Communion with him, koinonia with him, this beautiful, intimate, perpetual, and mutual belonging. Molly, come here. I can pick on Molly because she's in my bubble. Okay, come here, Molly. I'm not going to ask you to say anything. I'm not going to knock you on the ground or anything. Everybody say, hi, Molly. Come on. Hi, Molly. Thank you. All right. Make her, she feels awkward enough. Don't make her feel more awkward. Okay, so here's the deal. I have no idea why I brought it up here. You're welcome. I, I literally have no idea. Do you remember? I know that. What was I saying? Anybody? Nope. <laughs> She's going to kill me. You know that. She's going to say to me, I'm never sitting in the front row again. You're not allowed to say that, by the way. Are you embarrassed? No. Don't say, ah, oh, don't be embarrassed. Thank you, Laura. Okay, stay right here. Stay, I'll be right back. Stay there. I'll be right back. I promise. I got to figure out where I was going. Don't be weird. Okay. <laughs> oh, intention for life. Fellowship. Belonging. I still don't know why I brought her up here. Go ahead and sit down. <laughs> Shh. <laughs> you did awesome. Everybody give her a hand, please. All right, thank you. There's nothing that an introvert loves more than, first of all, being put in front of a crowd, and then have no reason why they're in front of the crowd, and then not be used by the person who brought them in front of the crowd, and then be acknowledged by the crowd, and then clapped for by the crowd. So, one more time, give Molly a hand. <laughs> not the best gift to introverts, but I want her to feel good. Okay, so here we go. It says, the state of one who is possessed of vitality, okay, we went there, a new mode of life dedicated, okay, or oh, this progression of God's true and real intention for life and the giving of life. I remember now. Molly, come here. <laughs> Thank you, sweetheart. You know what's really neat about what God intended for us? Is that prior to the fall, when, when it was Adam and then the man and the woman, right? The man and then the man and the woman. And I, I'm going to rephrase that one word for a moment. It's actually mankind and then the man and the woman. Both persons were present in the mankind at the beginning. 
the woman was extracted from the man. So the idea is that the man represented mankind and it was just like the Trinity. The Trinity is one, there's three inside that one. Mankind, the man was multiple. It was the woman and the man inside mankind. And so when the woman was extracted, it also reflected the Trinity. There's a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now we have a man and a woman who together with God would move forward. And it's a beautiful, beautiful arrangement. And the idea was koinonia and this intimacy with one another. And so when God created us and he made us for relationship, it was literally to walk like this, is to walk arm in arm and heart to heart. It was to have a relationship that was ongoing and progressing and eternal. That was the beauty of the relationship. What transpired was when Adam and Eve decided that that was not enough for them, what happened? There became separation. Now, I want us to understand this. This would have grieved the Father's heart. We know that that God grieves. When we're told in the New Testament, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve him. Well, how do we grieve the Holy Spirit? That we refuse to hear him out. We refuse to walk with him. We refuse to link arms with him. The Holy Spirit that is in us is given to us for relationship. He relates in us and to us. He speaks to us of Jesus. He reminds us of the truth. He guides us in power. He corrects us when necessary. He alerts us to temptation, and even more so if we've sinned. He desires to draw us back to repentance, and the whole purpose of the Holy Spirit in regard to our relationship with God is that he indwells us in such a way as to enable us to what? Be imitators of Jesus, to be the obedient children we were meant to be, to live a life, listen, of beauty. And so what happened when we were separated was all of a sudden it wasn't beautiful anymore. My life wasn't, be- it wasn't reflecting it's God's original intent for me, which was something beautiful. That beauty starts not with what I, listen, not with what I do. The beauty starts with the reconciliation of God and man. And then it's not just God and man, it's God in man. This is beautiful. This is painful. This is grieving. This is anxiety ridden. This is, this is angry. This is beautiful. And God's invitation to us is to join him in his beauty and to be the beautiful thing we were meant to be in the beginning, that now in Christ Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, through his word of God, we now can live as an expression of what? That God doesn't like this. He doesn't. He likes this. So I will tell you, I love this young lady. She's a family member. My treatment of her early on here may have created this. And I'm gonna tell you, if we went home like this, it would be ugly. Unless what? Unless I'm reconciled. And now it's beautiful again. Isn't that remarkable? No, isn't that remarkable? That's God's intention for us. That's his desire for us and with us. And he's given us everything we need to live this life out more and more. And so all of, all, everything with his breath in it has life, but not all of it is life to God. Not in terms of his children and the reflection of his most profound beauty, which is our resembling and acting like Jesus. So if we go on, look what it says. 
Oh, oh, thank you. Thank you, dear. So if we go on with the definition, look what it says. It says, so there's a progression of God's true and real intention for life and the giving of life. He desires more than just a, 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 just a flying sphere with a bunch of living creatures on it. But in fact, what he wants is a relationship. And he wants this relationship to be beautiful. And to be beautiful, he knows there's only one way for it to actually reflect beauty, and that it looks like his son, that it resembles him. And so he called us to be his children and instilled Christ Jesus in us that we might be beautiful like he's beautiful, that our works would reflect his goodness because his goodness is beautiful. So look what it goes on to say. It says now, it, 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 so, so he made for us a new mode of life de- dedicated to God. That's in Romans 6, 4. Then what's it progresses more, a promise looking to the present and the future life of what we have. This life that we, you know, we, we, were, we were saved from a life of death and condemnation. We were saved into a life with Christ Jesus and the indwelling of the Spirit. And we're saved to a life that we will live with God eternally like him. That'll be amazing. I just did it again. My knee just went, stop it. Okay, so here we go. And it continues to progress. Look what it goes on to say now. This is a life preserved in the midst of perils with a suggestion for vigor. In other words, in the midst of all of this, this life that God now gives us lives in the peril of this earth, but is vigorous because of the Spirit and can rise above the corruption which is another phrase we're going to look at in 2 Peter. What Peter's trying to get us to understand is this life of God is beautiful. It's in Christ Jesus. We've been given everything we need to live it out, and it grows in progress. To be effective, it needs to continue to move forward. Is this making sense so far? Okay, so we read on. So now the word here in Peter ends with this, and it's emphatic. You know what emphatic is? Emphatic is when you're saying it with, with great intensity, great power, and great purpose. Hey, emphatic! I'm going to hear that. It's life. And so it's not just life. Life is good. Yeah. But how is your law? Life is great. That's emphatic. Look what it says. The emphatic nature of life. So we see universally, it's just breath. But emphatically, mm, look what it says. It's as intended God, and this is the life which Peter speaks of, that we have and have been given of everything we need to live out. God, the light and life of mankind, of the absolute fullness of life, everything about him, both essential and ethical, which belongs to God and through him above. Okay, so here's the deal. What God, what this emphatic word life means this. It is God. If we were to go back to John 1, he says, Jesus, okay, Jesus in the beginning was... The Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It was with God in the beginning. He is the light and the life of man. In other words, that word is emphatic. He is life. It's not just that he had breath. He is life. He is the author of life. He's the beginning of life. He is the expression of life. He's the giver of life. He is life. And without Jesus, there is no life. Close your eyes. I really want you to close your eyes. What do you see when you close your eyes? What do you see? Dark, right? Black. Keep your eyes closed. That's if Jesus never was. That's as if Jesus never was. He is the light. He is the life. Mm. He is the light. He is the life. So when he said, when he said, let there be light, what he was saying is, let, uh, let me shine out. Let me reveal myself. Light in and of itself, 
Then he made the moon and the stars and the sun. Why? Because they're just a representation of the light. The first light that was spoken of as light was Jesus himself. Light. Boom. And then he balled it up into stars and he balled it up into the moon and he said, now let this represent me. Let this be a reflection of me. Let this be a revelation to people that there is light and I am light. Not until then did he make life. Because the first thing he wanted to know, I am light and now I am life. And the waters were teeming with life and the earth was crawling with life and then he formed and he shaped man and he, what did he do? He breathed into the nostrils of man, what? Life himself. Isn't that beautiful? When we're in Christ Jesus, we now live out not just our breathing and being animated, but the very emphatic life of Christ in us. Open your eyes. And he's given us everything we need to do it by his divine power. I keep, hi buddy. How you doing today, my friend? Here, have a seat right here. How you doing, my friend? All right. I'm glad you're here, man. So if we go on, look what it goes on to say. This life is active and vigorous. It's real and genuine. It's devoted to God. It's blessed. This, the portion even in this world of, the, of those who trust in Christ. So the needed thing is this, is the very person of God, the very life of God, the very, the very, the very nature of God is now planted in mankind. That's what we possess, and it is vibrant. It's supplied by him, it's attained in the fellowship with him and the knowledge of Christ, and the Holy Spirit is what imparts it in us. This is ours. It is ours to live, it is ours to reflect, it is ours to bring, it is ours to represent, and it is ours, it is ours to be beautiful. And God has given us everything we need to be beautiful. So, there are verses in here I'm gonna ask you to read when you go home. Lots of them. And two primary passages. Ben, go ahead and get in place if you would, please. And passages that are vibrant that tell us how to live this life. Because the interesting thing about the epistles is it's not just to remind us who we are as God's children. It is also to instruct us and to correct us in how we live. What does it look like to reflect this beauty? What does it look like to be this beauty? What does it do? What does it do? And so what's gorgeous about this is this. He says, listen, one of the primary ways you can reflect this life to one another is a mutual concern for one another. A mutual concern for one another. Do you know the Trinity is mutually concerned for one another? The Father, Holy, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are mutually concerned. It's most explicitly said this way. If, the whole, if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you can blaspheme Jesus and you can blaspheme the Father and you can be forgiven. But the two of them say you do not blaspheme the Holy Spirit. That you will not be forgiven of. Why? Because of the Father's and the Son's mutual concern for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says, I don't speak on my own behalf. I only speak that which I see in Jesus and remind you of him. Why is that? He's mutually concerned for the life and the image of Christ as our savior. Jesus said, everything I say, everything I do, that's not my own. 
That's from my father. Why? Because of his mutual concern for his father's glory and his father's will. Look around the room, please. You know the great privilege we have as disciples of Christ? We get to live out this mutuality. Mm. We get to be mutually concerned for one another. We get to do that. We get to care deeply for the needs of the people around us. We get to care deeply for the feelings of one another. We get to serve one another at their point of need, according to their need. We get to do that. When we have communion, I wish we could do it the way they did it back in the day when they had these big love feasts. But you know what he had to tell the Corinthians? Don't you guys ever eat at home? Some of you bring these big meals and you eat in front of the poor people and the poor people don't have anything to eat. What's wrong with you guys? Don't you have any concern for one another? Don't you? I love the fact that we can do a potluck once in a while and we can all bring our wares and then be mutually concerned that everybody gets a bite because that's a love feast, that's communion. Today we're gonna celebrate communion. And this communion in essence is the expression of Jesus' mutual concern. Stop. It's his mutual concern for the Father's will. It's his mutual concern for eternal life and life itself. Then it's his concern for us. What brought Jesus to earth? His concern for us. We stood condemned. He said, I don't want that for you. I don't want it for you. I'm concerned. I'm coming. So as we sing this song, I would pray that we would reflect on mutual concern and rejoice in Jesus' concern for us and how we might live out our concern for others. Let's stand and sing.